0: I want you to give an honest answer. Have you learned a lot and enjoyed our journey through the book of Acts? I hope that you have, because I'm telling you, I've learned a lot. I've really tried to to study and to dig and and to say, Lord, show me. Give me uh, what you want me to say on Sunday. And so I pray that I'll do that today as we finish up the book. Uh, Today I've entitled my message, Finishing Well. Finishing Well. Lord, as we open up the Scriptures... We need the power, the illumination, and the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I need your help. Holy Spirit, fill me. Control my mouth. Bring things to mind that I've studied that would benefit this room. Lord, I don't want to just stand up here and bring a expository sermon and talk about a bunch of facts and historical things that have no application to our everyday walk. And I know the subject matter that I have today, it's very clear about the application. That all of us should desire to finish well, to finish well. When we get to the end of this life, may our life reflect the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. So bring the Scriptures alive. Help me to include the things that you want me to include, to leave out the things you want me to leave out. And may when we walk out those doors in just a few minutes, may we be more determined than ever to finish well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you're sitting down and you're kind of opening your Bible to the 28th chapter of Acts, I want to on a personal level say that I am increasingly aware that the decisions I make today, on this day, will affect the remaining course of my life. At the end of my days, I don't know how many I have. I don't know if that would be better or worse to not know, but I I don't know how many days I have left here on this earth, no matter what that number may be, the summary of my life, the totality of my life, will be defined by a whole lot of smaller decisions that I make along the way. I'm going to make some decisions this week that will ultimately affect how well I cross the finish line. I've been reading a book entitled, Didn't See It Coming, by Carrie Neowulf. And in it, he talks about the seven challenges that no one expects, but everyone experiences. And man, it's like he wrote me a personal letter. I'm telling you, it has really, really spoken to my heart. But on page 39 in that book, he is talking about character. How important it is for us to to live a life of character and how our personal character, it shapes and defines who we are. And he said, uh, one time he was with uh, leadership guru Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey said to him, I want you to think about your memorial service. Now that's kind of a morbid thing to be told, right? I want you to sit down and think about that. But Covey said this, I want you to sit down and I want you to think about it because here's what happens at every memorial service. There is a fast forward highlight reel of your life. It's an abbreviated highlight reel, but it's going to be a snapshot of the way you live your life. And when you finish, they're not going to get up and talk about, Uh, your faults and your failures and the major blunders in your life, because we all have those. But they're going to get up and they're going to give a summary of your life. And when they do that, what are they going to say? Now, can I get personal for a minute? As a minister, when you stand up at a memorial service, you certainly have greater peace in your heart when you're able to say, this person had a relationship with Jesus Christ. This person professed their faith in the Lord, but, but really your, your memorial service goes even further than that from the legacy that you live. Because your, your family, my family, a minister is gonna speak words that summarize your life. Covey said to Carrie, what will they say about you? And I would ask you that same question today. What would be said? About your life. Contemplate this quote from page 39 on the screen. People will remember if you loved well. If you forgave easily. If you cared enough to be there for them. They'll remember if you served or preferred to be served. They'll know whether you thought life revolved around you or whether you really tried to honor God and others. They'll remember Whether you were generous or miserly, arrogant or humble, compassionate or indifferent. They'll remember your temper or whether you learned the rhythms of grace. Now we probably should just stop about five minutes and meditate on that, right? I'm going to tell you the line in that that really spoke to me the most. It's the very last phrase. Learning to live your life in the rhythms of grace. The rhythms of grace. I believe if there's anyone in the Scripture who spoke and wrote more about the rhythms of grace and understood what that meant, it is the man we've been studying for the last few months in the last half of the book of Acts. From chapter 13 to chapter 28, we have looked at the life of, ...of the Apostle Paul. When we finished last Sunday, Paul was uh, giving his defense to King Agrippa in Caesarea Maritima. You were uh, here last week, you know we finished up at the end of chapter 26. At the conclusion of the chapter, Agrippa and Festus come together... ...and they conclude that Paul had done nothing wrong that would deserve uh, him to be executed or put to death... And because of the Roman law, they would not uh, turn him back over to the Sanhedrin. Uh, In particular, Paul had appealed that he be able to go all the way uh, to Rome. If you look in your Bible, just open it up to chapter 28. I'm going to do just a brief review in just a minute. But so I can jump right into my outline, if you're following uh, in the worship guide. Notice in chapter 28, verses 11 through 16 that Paul arrives at Rome. Remember, Paul stated that he was going to Rome, and God had told him that it was his will to go to Rome. When you read chapter 27, it begins with them setting sail from Caesarea Maritima. Some have asked the question, why did Luke go into such detail in chapter 27 about all the stops and all the difficulties and all the bumps along the way. Why did he take the time to write down uh, such intricate details? I want you to look up on the screen and I've just put this map and I don't want you to be uh, overwhelmed by the map, but I want you to see just a snapshot of what this journey looked like. If you start over here on the right, that small air at the bottom is Caesarea Maritima and chapter 27 and 28 shows you the, the route uh, that the ship took in order to make its way all the way over here uh, to Rome. Uh, notice each city that they stopped in. I want you to pay particular attention uh, to the eras that connect here just above the word Mediterranean and then the blue era that is just above it. It's out in the Mediterranean Sea there that you read here in the text, the great wind came up and the ship was blown off course. And it ended up going 600 miles out of the way. It ends up, when we get to the start of chapter 28, it ends up on the island of Malta. You see Malta down there just to the south of Sicily. As you read the first few verses of chapter 28, you know that it's wintertime, you know it's cold, the, the ship is wrecked, and they're trying to survive. Paul goes out and bundles up some sticks to build a fire, right? And as he bundled up those sticks, Luke recorded for us that a viper came out and struck him on the hand. The Some 300 prisoners viewed this as Paul being judged by one of the gods, that he was going to die uh, for whatever crime that he had committed. And as they watched him, expecting him to swell up and pass away, the scripture says to their amazement, uh, he was healed. He never got sick, and he certainly never died. Now think about this. You want to talk about going from hero or from zero to hero. They look at Paul as getting judgment because of the bite. And at the end of verse number six, they now viewed him as a God. Notice there in Malta, verse seven, they, that Paul is doing ministry. He's doing ministry there. And I want you to, I could give you a lot of details, but I want you to look at this map and I want to point out two things to you about our gospel journey. Number one, I want you to look at that map, and I want you to see the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. That God has plans for your life, and you nor anyone else will stop those plans. Even though He was tossed around at the sea. Even though He was shipwrecked. Even though he went through the snake bite, and on and on and on, all the problems that Paul went through, it was the sovereign will of God to carry him all the way to Rome. And I hope that speaks to your heart today to say, it doesn't matter what you're facing or what you're going through, God is in control and He's going to see you through. May His will be done in all of our lives. The second thing I want you to see, when you look at that map, is that I want you to see a man, a gospel warrior, a church planner who never gave up. How many of you reading the last half of Acts could have found more than one opportunity in your personal life to quit? To throw in the towel. I'm amazed today at the things that, the simple things, seemingly simple things that cause people to say, well, I'm going to back up or I'm going to move away or I'm going to quit. i tell you what. That map speaks to me about the Apostle Paul. He never gave up because he knew that God wanted him in Rome. It wasn't just Paul saying, I want to go to Rome, but it was that God told him, you are going to Rome. Look at verse number 16. Here it is. When he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier Who guarded him. So, point number one, Paul arrives at home. Secondly, I want you to see in 17 through 23 that immediately Paul engages with his affinity group. Now, remember, Paul is a Jew, right? When we're reading Romans chapter 1, we get to verse 16, those famous verses in the Bible that wrecked uh, Martin Luther and changed his heart about the gospel. Martin Luther was laying out in the snow and, and trying to hurt and inflict pain on his body to somehow get the, the forgiveness of God in his life. And then one day he read Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew... Y'all wait today? Come on now, let's go. To the Jew and then also to the Greek. So here's Paul when he arrives in Rome. What is the first group of people that he looks for? He's not, he doesn't look for the Christians. He looks for the Jews because that was his affinity group. In other words, Paul related to them. He understood their customs and their background. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were being taught. And because he was so burdened for his own people, he went directly to them. I'll never forget several years ago I was having a conversation. Now this illustration is not inspired, okay? Only the Bible is inspired. But I was having a conversation with a pastor that was from Cleveland, Ohio. He was speaking to me as a young pastor, and he said, Let me tell you something I've learned, son. He said, I've learned that you'll do some of your greatest ministry close to where you grew up. Obviously, he knew that sometimes God calls us to go to the foreign field and you know, and things like that, or moves you to a different geography for you to reach people. But here's what he was saying to me. He was saying, you're going to relate better, and you're going to understand the culture better when you're kind of around your people. Unless you would argue with me on that, sitting on the back row right back there is Brother Soom, who is leaving next Monday, March the 11th, and he's going on another pilgrimage to Miramar because he has a heart and a burden for the Burmese people And that man will go, he's done it time and time again in our church. He'll leave here, he'll fly over there, and he will walk and walk and walk, and he will go from village to village, city to city, place to place. He normally comes back with sickness in his body, but he has a burden for the Burmese people. How many of you know that when he arrives, because of the color of his skin and the language that he speaks... He's immediately going to be able to relate more to them than if I showed up. He has a heart for them. Why? Because that's His people. Where does evangelism start? It starts to those closest to us. Let me get more specific. Where does evangelism start? It starts at the Coleman house. Evangelizing my family. Evangelizing our children evangelizing our extended family, those that we have a connection with. How many of you believe that would be a good place to start? Because too many times we don't. We don't share our faith. We don't evangelize like we need to. And so so what does Paul do? He's a born-again believer by God's grace. He begins by engaging with his people. Look at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Roman. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. I've got that... Verse 19, they're kind of highlighted in my Bible, because what you see is Paul's desire for his own people to not suffer. He said, I appealed to Caesar so I didn't bring condemnation on my own people, particularly on the ones who had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Now, can we summarize this just really quick? Who who was God's chosen people? The nation of Israel. The Jews. Who was the Pentateuch given to? It was given to God's people. The law was given through Moses to God's people. There were promises in that law. The fulfillment would look like the Messiah coming on the scene. It's the same thing that... Jewish people are still looking for today, many of them. They're still looking for the Messiah. But Paul is saying, the hope of Israel, the thing that God promised, and the thing that we long so deeply for, that hope, that expectation, it has been fulfilled. In other words, Paul is saying, God kept His Word. God always keeps His Word, and He has fulfilled it in Jesus as the Messiah. Am I speaking to a group of people today that believe God always keeps His Word? There's no need, please hear me if you're Jewish, I mean, not to offend you, but I do mean to speak truth into your life. There's no need for you today to be looking for the Messiah. Find the Messiah in the Scriptures. Jesus has come. The one in Isaiah 53 has come. It's the same thing Paul is saying here. The reason I'm in these chains is because God has fulfilled His Word. And I'm just declaring that God is faithful and He has done exactly what He said He would do. Notice in verse 21. And they said to Him, We received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Verse 23, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and doing what? Trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now, there's a little bit of a question mark here in this section. The question is, how could they say to Paul, Paul, uh, we, we haven't heard about you. Paul, we don't know anything about you. The question is, had Christianity already spread to the Roman Empire? The answer to that is absolutely, yes. There were many Christians in Rome. As a matter of fact, Paul had already written the book of Romans in about 57 to address the Christians who were living there. So we know, we know that there, was, uh, there were Christians living in the city of Rome. So how would these Jews have not heard or known about Paul? There's a couple different theories. One would be a great disconnect between the synagogues in Israel. And the synagogues in Rome, in other words, they were kind of living in a bubble, living in isolation. They weren't watching the news every day like you and I do. So they were just living in isolation and didn't really, really hear about this. Another issue would have been that those letters or that word had not arrived yet in Rome because of the severe winter. Remember, they're living in a, in a very harsh, uh, harsh predicament. Nonetheless, verse 22 said that they had heard about this sect or this group of people, that people are kind of chattering and murmuring about Christianity. And what I want you to see there, don't overlook it, is that this is the beginning of the, the upheaval. This is the beginning of the uproar that's eventually going to lead to 64 and Nero and the severe persecution of the Christians. So what does Paul do? Paul takes this group from morning until evening. And he's trying to convince them. Now, I was reading that in my office and, and God really spoke to me about that. Uh, how many of you have a theology that believes that it's God who saves? Don't you wish you could save one someone? Or, or you know, you could do something to make them get saved? You ever met somebody you wished you could make get saved? But that's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. Only God does the saving. But yet here, Paul, the great theologian, I see his passion. I see his pleading. I see his begging. Please hear me today, Christian. It doesn't matter what your theology is and where you land on this point and that point and so forth. If you are not passionate and you are not sharing the gospel with people and calling on them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're being a disobedient Christian. God has called us to share the gospel and to tell people of His saving grace and then to call on them to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads me really to verse number 24, an important point that Luke makes here. Some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieve. Has that ever? Have you ever found yourself in your Christian journey being frustrated with those who do not believe? I really believe this. At the end of the day, our evangelism and our witness centers around our obedience. Are we going to do it or not? Right? I mean, you're either going to obey or you're not going to obey. But I think there's some human factors that kind of fit into our obedience. If you set out and you say, I'm going to evangelize and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. None of us enjoy being rejected. None of us like having a door slammed in our face. So you start on your journey. I'm going to evangelize. You, you go the first person. Nope. Go the second person. Nope. Go the third person. Nope. And how many of you know in this world and culture we live in today, you can string together a lot of nopes. Right? Because people are hard and they're calloused. It's not easy to be rejected. Watch. I believe this is one of the major issues in the church among the Christian community. Is that because we do get rejected, we just say forget it. It's a waste of time. And we miss out the important principle of obedience. Obedience. How many times through the years have missionaries gone to a foreign soul? And spent 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years and never saw one convert. Never saw one. Can you imagine how disappointing? Can you imagine how many people have gone through that and begin to question their own calling? What What would you do? i tell you what I'd do. I'd start questioning my presentation, right? How I'm doing it. And if I could be transparent here for just a minute you'd allow me as a pastor i took note five or six weeks ago when i asked in church on sunday morning how many people have used the three circles in your gospel presentation that we had reviewed a few weeks before i want you to know that i did notice and take note how few hands went up i did notice that and i've got to be honest it grieved me it really did I'm not trying to scold you, but I do want to ask a follow up question to that. If you didn't use that method, what method did you use? There's nothing wrong with saying, this is who I was, this is what Christ did in my life, and this is why I live the way I live. Church, please hear me today. Witnessing and evangelism is not optional, it is a matter of obedience. And if we see someone come to Christ, then we celebrate that. And that's like a spiritual B12 shot, right? I mean, like, yeah, you know? Man, that's, that's, that's refreshing. It's just awesome to see. But if someone rejects Christ, it just gives us something else to pray about, right? To pray for them that God would change their hearts and lives. So focus on 24 there for just a second some believed and some didn't 25 disagreeing among themselves they departed after paul had made one statement the holy spirit was right in saying to your fathers through isaiah the prophet man i love verse 25 after the colon notice luke did not write or paul did not say that isaiah was right in what he said in his letter no Paul said the Holy Spirit was right. I've got the Holy Spirit circled in my Bible, and then I've got an error drawn down below that verse, and I've got the word inspiration in my Bible. The book of Isaiah is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Now get get here just a minute. Did you know that for century after century after century after century, And even to this day, really, but 1948 really kicked the top off of the ant bed for the Jewish people because they had spent all of these centuries, the rabbis had spent all of these centuries denouncing the book of Isaiah, denouncing Isaiah 53, saying that Isaiah 53 was written by a scribe, that it was not the Word of God until that little Bedouin boy threw a pebble into a cave and hit some clay jars. 1948... Almost almost to the day that nation, the, the nation of Israel became a nation, they went in and harvested those clay jars. And what did they find in there, sitting there since the first century? A complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. God keeps His Word. God preserves His Word. And Paul says, you know what? What Isaiah wrote hundreds of years ago, it's coming to pass right now here in Rome. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is a direct quote from the Greek Septuagint. What is that? The Greek Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek, and we call that the Septuagint. Paul quotes directly Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Look at it. Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. How many of you know that these words are very strong prophetically that even hover over the nation of Israel today? Because that nation is largely agnostic, atheistic, and rejects the God-man Jesus who came to them. Now, let's bring 26 and 27 into the room. He talks about perception. He talks about discerning the truth. And he talks about the eyes, the ears, and the heart. Did you know when you read through your Bible that Matthew uses those three in his writings? Mark, Luke, John refer to the eyes, the ears, and the heart. And now Paul is making a reference to the eyes, the ears, and the heart. It's very important. Don't miss it. Because it's real easy for you and I to sit here today and have the thought, how could they miss it? How could they ignore it? How could they close their eyes and close their... How could they be so stubborn and not believe that when God said He would send the Messiah, that He really would do it? And now that He's done it, why would they reject it? I'll tell you why. Because verse 26 and 27, I believe, fit very perfectly into a lot of Baptist churches. Now, let's talk about everybody else. Let's not talk about ourselves today. Is that okay? Can we gossip a minute? How many of you believe? Let's just talk about all churches, not just Baptist. How many of you believe that unfortunately... We're not thinking of anybody's name. We're not pointing fingers. But just based off of what you know about the Scripture, that there's going to be some people whose names are on the church roll, whose names are not on heaven's roll. There's going to be some church members that don't go to heaven. There's going to be some church members who see but don't see. Who hear but don't hear whose heart has not truly been changed. I mentioned it earlier, I'll say it again. That is exactly why God said, you honor me with your lips, you say the right things, you sing the right songs, and you maybe even pray prayers out of your book, but your heart is far from me. It doesn't matter what your church attendance record looks like if your heart has never been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please hear me today. There's a lot being written today about one of the greatest mission fields in North America is the churches. Because this is one of the easiest places that you can come and be deceived. You can think everything's okay. You can think, I'm good to go. I, hey, I know what I did back there in 19-whatever. And i tell you what, I signed up and I got that card and man you know, Papa baptized me and I know what I did. Well, let me ask you something. Does your life bear fruit that you've been changed by the gospel? Now listen, please hear me today. I know there are a lot of places you can go and I thank God for every Bible preaching church in this community. But here's what I'm learning more and more in my conversations. There's a lot of places you can go on Sunday and get your ears tickled and somebody to tell you you're okay As long as you just be a good little boy and a good little girl, everything's going to work out in the end. And that is not the message that America needs to hear today. That is not the message the world needs to hear today. The message is, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit open your eyes and open your ears to hear what God is saying today. What is he saying today? He's saying, repent and turn to me. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Don't reject me. It's very easy to become too familiar with a good old gospel story, right? May we never become too familiar with it, but may it radically change us. Did it radically change Paul? I'm almost done. Did it radically change Paul? How did Paul do at the finish line? Man, I'm so glad you asked. Because that's what you see in 28 to 31. He makes that statement in 28, a declaration about the gospel coming to the Gentiles. 30 and 31 really focus in on him at the finish line. Here he is. He's in Rome, right? And he has a guard for two years. He lives for two years at his own expense. Notice, here's Paul. Luke wrote that he was hospitable. He's welcoming all who came to him. Did you know that's one of the great attributes in the New Testament of the church and Christians? Is that we are hospitable. We know what it means to have hospitality. Here he is, continuing to proclaim the kingdom of God. Remember that Jesus said more about the kingdom of God than he did the church. Paul is saying, go, advance his kingdom, spread the gospel. Yes, plant churches, but this is about the kingdom of God. This is not just about our little home base. This is about his kingdom expanding. You find Paul, rock solid in his beliefs. He's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. John Stott said, though his hand was still bound... His mouth was open for Jesus. Though he was chained, the Word of God was not. I love that. Paul was chained up, but the Bible wasn't. Now, let me summarize this real quick. Think about this. For years, probably close to five years, Paul is incarcerated at the end of the book of Acts. For us, we would think those were five years where Paul was bound up and the work of God was held back. It was stopped, or at least it was hindered. Church planning has been put on hold. I want you to walk out of here today thinking differently. I want you to think about all the kingdom work that Paul was able to do during the time that he was incarcerated. Y'all with me? Think about it just for a minute. Did you know that the majority... Of the 29 books in the New Testament, the Bible that you hold in your hand, the majority of them was written by who? And did he write those letters laying on a beach, (laughs) sipping tea and getting a foot massage? No. He wrote most of it in prison. Can you think for just a minute in this five years, a couple more written after this time, but can you stop for just a minute and think about the eternal fruit that has been born from Paul's letters? Isn't that amazing? Do you, do you see how it would be easy on on the human level, on the surface, to say, "Well, the Lord's work stopped over the Paul." How many times does that happen in the church and the kingdom of God? We lose a leader, or the leader goes off, and we feel like we... Well, what do we do now? Really? No, God's still at work. And the fruit of Ephesians, Paul was incarcerated, but think about every person that has bowed their head, repented of their sins, and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ when they read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When man said, we've got you, Paul, the Holy Spirit whispered, Paul, get a pen and piece of paper out. Because there's people I'm going to save in 2019 because of what you're fixing to write down. Isn't that powerful? We just don't always understand what's going on. God is always at work. Always at work. Notice the last two words. Paul did his ministry without hindrance. That word means a stumbling block. He had no stumbling blocks in his way. People are free to come and go. and He's able to teach. I want to add to that, if I may, the Lord spoke to me in my office. Not only did he do his ministry without a stumbling block, but Paul wasn't a stumbling block. He didn't turn aside. Paul didn't mess up, so to speak, if you will. And I've got to get you to see, isn't it interesting that Luke ends the book of Acts so abruptly? Why did he not include the rest of the story? It wouldn't have been good to have... About three or four, five or six more verses that kind of gave us a summary. Well, and this is what happened to Paul. But we don't have that. We don't have it. Why? There's some theories on that that you don't have time for. And I've got to get to Alberta. (laughs) But let me focus in on the main one I believe. I believe, I tend to believe, let me put it that way. I, I tend to believe that Luke finishes up Acts around 62. And very likely, the Christian persecution begins to intensify. There are some historical records that say that after two years, Paul's in prison in Rome, that he was released. The reason for that, we don't know. Some speculate it was paperwork, okay? That he just kind of got lost in the judicial system, that people just kind of got to a point where <sighs> we really don't care. Let, let him go. We don't have time to fool with that. There's so much going on. But we believe that around 64 or 65 A.D., we know that Paul did make one trip to Spain. And sometime around 64 65 A.D., Paul was rearrested and brought back to Rome. And during that time frame, he sat down and he wrote a letter to a young man that had a great first name, Timothy. And we get a little snapshot of Paul at the end. I want you to think, really, get your mind right here. I want you to think about this warrior for God. I want you to think about all he went through. And he comes to the end of his life and he's just writing to Timothy. And he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look on the screen. I fought a good fight. i finished my course. I've kept the faith. I haven't turned away from what I believe. I haven't backed up one bit. I've I've held on to it. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to everyone who loves His appearance. Gang, whenever my time to go is, I hope my memorial service is not how much I love football and fishing and Fishing and crocheting and camping and all this other stuff. Nothing wrong with any of that. I'm not preaching against any of that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when I get to the end of my race, I don't want people to stand up over me and have to make up things to say to make it sound like I was a Christian. Because I'm going to tell you something, that's a miserable place to be when you're a pastor. Pastor. Stand up and have to preach a a funeral and you feel like in your heart, which incidentally, let me say this. I'm not preaching anybody into heaven. Nobody. I'm not doing it. Please, I don't mean to sound brass or ugly, but I preach funerals, have done it many times, where people live like the devil, had nothing for God, and I'm not going to get up and talk about how they're at the big racetrack in the sky. You understand? I'm not the judge. I don't know. But I know this, when you get to the end of the journey, you're going to have some fruit that Christ changed you. And I hope that when you get to the end of your life, you can say, I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my race. I want to finish well. I don't want to be a casualty. I don't want to back up and punt. I want to stay faithful to what God's called me to do until He calls me home. So think about your... Your life today. We can't do anything about yesterday, right? How many of you wished you could? Yeah. You can't do anything about yesterday or last month or even last year. But I tell you what we can do. We can own and embrace the fact that the totality of our life, the summary of our life, when we come to the finish, it will be a series of smaller decisions. Just like the Apostle Paul, through it all, the ups and the downs, he kept his eyes on Jesus and on the Gospel. And he finished his race very well. Amen? Let's stand.